0: You're listening to the Hub City Church podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Hey, it's uh it's a pleasure always to be up here and to just uh, for all of us uh, just to sit under God's word and just to be transformed, to show up and let him transform us. It's nothing that I am going to say today but just our surrender to God. But um, I don't know a better way for me, and maybe this is sad, but to uh, just kind of intro a Father's Day sermon uh, without some dad jokes. So I'm just going to try a few of these on you. Most of them are not mine, uh, found on the internet. They're just ones that made me cackle, and I thought, why not? It's Father's Day, right? So actually, I was going to start out, I had a great job about, a joke about COVID, but I, I didn't want to spread it around. So um, so these are some of the, my favorites. Um, Have you guys ever wondered why Waldo wears a striped shirt? Because he didn't want to be spotted. I always wondered why melons didn't run away in love together. It's because they can't elope. Thank you guys, this is great. But did you hear how the pirate got his boat so cheap? It had a big sail. And if you thought that Bruce Lee was fast, you should meet his brother suddenly. Okay, I'll clean it up. I'll make some Bible jokes, okay? Do you guys know how Moses likes his coffee? He brews it. That's for you, Gabe. After his coffee, how did God help Moses with his headache? Well, he gave him two tablets. And finally, did you guys hear about Moses' bingo game with God? It was a really simple game. They played with alphabet and, the, and colors, okay, so, so God would call something like yellow W or green H, and you, what you have to do is get them all across, right? Well, the game goes and Moses shouts out, bingo! And God's super impressed, and he's like, wow, Moses, great job, how did you get them all across? What did you win on? And Moses stands up and says, Red Sea! Let's pray. I think we need to pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for silliness. Um, God, you are the um, creator of joy, I'm the author of life, and we just want to sit in that today. And there's some really uh, powerful stuff today uh, in this passage. I thank you for the heart of John uh, to write uh, that that some things that are serious that we need to take serious. But God, you again, you are full of goodness and joy. So. Lord, just create in us uh, that clean new heart uh, that is just full of your spirit, full of joy today um, as we sit under your word and let you transform us into the people you made us to be. We give you this time and we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you guys for laughing. We're going to add a laugh track into the live stream. Can we do that? I don't think we can do that. Okay. So anyways, so we're coming off of uh, chapter 3, uh, the first part of chapter 3 last week, and we kind of looked uh, where John is pointing out that there's two kind of reigning families out there, spiritual families, right? There are children of God, and then as he has said it, there are children of the devil. It's pretty stark right there, right? And again, we just need to understand they're not equal. It's not like they're equal playing field. The children of God, God has one, but there still is a family of uh, values of darkness out there. And again, all people were created by God, but not all people love or follow God as his children. So there's these two kind of proverbial fathers out there teaching family values for their children. And God, uh, John has spent much time talking about the differences of these two families, um, but also uh, the focus is not to condemn or judge those who belong to the devil, but the focus is on God and his children and how they are to be. So John now has established these two family systems. He's been moving forward on kind of what these two family systems, the values they champion. Okay, those of the devil practice sinning, which is lawlessness. They practice hatred toward their brothers and then having the spirit of against Christ or anti-Christ, one who denies the father and the son. But then John is moving on to the children of God, and they have these values that are opposite of those. The children of God practice righteousness. They love one another, and they test the spirits of what is for Christ. So last week, we did that first one. We looked at practicing righteousness, and John concluded with this section in chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So now we're on to the next family value. As children of God, it is to love one another. John wrote in the last section in 3.8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He takes it all the way to the the foundations of it. The devil's always been sinning. So to combat that, in verse 11 of our passage today, he writes, But this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Just like it's not news that the devil brings on sinning, it's not news that God's people would love another. This is not a new message. This is a message you've heard all along, love one another and it's funny that, you know, we attribute this kind of language just to Jesus, and rightfully so. Remember his commandment in John 13, 34? A new commandment I give to you, he told his followers, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We say, yeah, Jesus said it, and that's perfect. However, it didn't originate there. It's always been from the beginning on God's heart that his people would love one another. Because as we'll get to in a few weeks, God is love god commissioned his people to first have love for him with all their heart and their mind and their soul and their strength strength which would then encompass them and orient them back to the intended goal that god has always had where he would be their god and they would be his people look at what paul writes in romans 13 talking about the 10 commandments this is a deeper understanding of what the commandments were for oh no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love has always been the goal. And the lack of it has historically been uh, the people of God's greatest downfall. What we, quote, love is fickle and constantly changing and being redefined. And it's God alone who can reorient us towards true life-giving love. But it's interesting the analogy that John uses here about loving one another. If I was John and I had the history of the early church plus the life of Jesus, there are many analogies or stories that I would tell as examples for this, right? My mind wouldn't necessarily go to where John takes it, But as we looked at last week, the issue John is talking about is the deep workings of sin being lawlessness, sin being this foundational evil that is wreaking havoc on God's good earth. So instead of talking about the symptoms of sin, we see eking out of the flesh and this world, John goes again to the source. He goes back to the beginning. So he writes this in in verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Okay. Now I'm sure we're all in this room, probably pretty familiar with the Genesis three account of the serpent named Satan again, which is a title meaning adversary, right? He deceived God's humans and caused them to gain the knowledge of good and evil, which now brings, uh, now it brings the choice for good and evil which in itself isn't necessarily bad, right? It's good to have maybe morality and stuff, but because this was brought on by disobedience, then the choice of good and evil is inherently under already a broken system with a bent towards self. So the word for this is sin, right? Humans can't help but now seek self-glory. So that's the initial failure, but it's interesting what is one of the very first documented examples of this bent for self-glory, and John brings up Cain. And this is the classic sibling rivalry story, right? Cain is the oldest, Abel's the younger, born of Adam and Eve, both of them. Both have to get offerings for the Lord, okay? If you journey with me to Genesis 4, you can turn there if you want, it'll be on the screen. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Okay, so this isn't just like they had to go out and find the best thing. They actually had roles, right? Cain was the gardener, so he brought fruit that grew from the ground, and Abel the shepherd who brought his best lamb. Now, to get real nerdy for a second, Uh, I read some scholars who claim the reason Cain's offering was not accepted was because it was not a blood offering, which is kind of fascinating, but it was not what he was given to take care of. He wasn't given the animals to take care of, so he still gave the first fruits of what was entrusted to him. So it's kind of interesting. There's actually a back and forth of like he gave what he was supposed to give. Um, But some people think it's not a blood offering. It doesn't matter. Let's not get nerdy right now. We aren't told how God relayed this information. But again, in Genesis 4, the rest of verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. That makes sense. I asked my kids to do a lot of things. And if I asked all my kids to do something, they all came back. And I regarded some, and I did not regard others. It's no mistake that the one I did not regard would be a little bit bummed out. It's very laws of nature, right? But as we looked at last week, the Lord used this as a teaching moment. Remember, we read this. Genesis 4, 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule Over it. Again, that beast language that we looked at last week, right? That sin has this beast like quality, and it's not to feed the beast, but we need to actually starve the beast. It's crouching at the door, it's just waiting to devour anything in its path. The goal is to not, again, keep feeding this, but to starve it. And once, again, you've heard probably the end of the story, Genesis 4, 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Okay, he did not overcome it. He let it overcome him. And of course, the action is horrific and sad to see jealousy and anger take over like that. But in a choice moment, instead of listening to instruction and wisdom from the Lord, Cain gave in to desires that were contrary He did not rule over it and killed a created being. This is what the devil wanted from the beginning, right? What did Jesus say? That he came to kill, steal, and destroy. It's in his nature. Jesus taught this as well in John 8. Jesus is talking to Jews who are harboring anger and hatred towards Jesus, and they claim to be children of Abraham. Jesus says this very scathingly, John 8. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Then to skip a few verses, you are your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. As God is the creator, the devil is the killer of creation. So those who follow that path, like Cain, will be of the evil one. So back to John. John's sequence is important here, right? He was just talking about loving one another and how this message has always been there from the beginning but what has also been there from the beginning is the evil one who got a grip on Cain and his actions are not necessarily surprising as one attached to the killer of creation. Cain was of the evil one even before he murdered his brother because of the decisions that he made in his heart. The premeditated nature of his sin was the root of his actions, where his heart was determined his actions which is what John has been getting at. The actions are just the symptoms or fruit of the root inside someone. So back to John. John keeps going, verse 13. Do not be surprised then, brothers, when the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John is drawing a line of death and life, and death is evident with whoever does not love. And the fruit of death is hatred, which as we saw in Cain, is the root of murder. Now, as John does so often in this letter, he begins an idea with a negative. Okay, it gets kind of like, oof, is it warm in here? Again, to let his audience know what to watch out for, to give them warning on what is happening with the false teachers in their community and to deeper understanding, but he, his focus is on the positive for the children of God. So he goes to the positive. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Of course, he's talking about Jesus here. And in stark contrast to Cain giving into jealousy and hatred of his brother, Christ gives the example of laying down his life for his brothers. This is the example we are to follow with the warning of not getting caught in the beastly trap like Cain did. And going back to earlier, this is also why Jesus can fulfill the law, because remember, as Paul wrote, loving your neighbor is fulfilling the laws. Christ showed us the ultimate love. That's our example. Now, I, I get it. You, could take a second and scoff and be like, all right, Matt, like be more like Jesus and less like Cain. Uh, don't be murdery. I understand it, right? Remember Cain's sin started by giving into jealousy and envy, which led to hatred and then culminated in murder. And in our culture, let's just get real, how easily does jealousy, envy, strife, comparison, how often does that come into our thoughts and our beings? I right? Spend five minutes on whatever social media you do, and it's tough not to have something creep into our hearts and our minds that aren't related to that. We are of the same flesh and blood as Cain, and just as susceptible to letting sin rule over that. We're not above sin in ourselves, but we've been given a new spirit that can renew us from the inside out. Now that root of the imperishable seed, as Peter says, we looked at last week, can now start producing fruit out of our flesh that can be righteousness because Christ is righteous. So Christ is the great example, and it should compel Christians to do the same for each other. Verse 17, John gives an example. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This love that is found in the example of Christ has to be evident. It's not a theoretical love, it's an intentional love. It should take something from us. Just as sin is rooted in self-glory, love is rooted in self-sacrifice. That's literally part of the definition from Christ. So no doubt John is using this as another example of seeing these false teachers say all these things that seem to be true but have no evident action of love. But to truly follow the example of Christ, it takes self-sacrifice. It's the act of giving away intentionally and generously. And in tandem with the self-sacrificial nature of the love, it needs to show up in our actions. Not just idle words, not just fancy theology, but by our very lifestyle, making it a practice. That's back to to not practicing sin, but practicing righteousness. These are intentional action words. Let me just ask, and myself included, how are we doing with this? On an individual level and corporately as the church, are we talking a big game here? On Sundays or in our small groups, but not actually living out in love in deed and truth? And that's just an honest question we need to ask ourselves a lot, right? Oftentimes, we're in the game of comparison, again, from whether it's media or friends or social pressures of culture. We're so focused on pointing the finger at those who are more like Cain, following self-glory that has led to dramatic destruction, then we let ourselves off the hook because we are, quote, at least doing what those, not doing what those people are doing. But this call from John isn't just to avoid being as bad as Cain, but to actually have intentional lives marked by self-sacrifice. Remember, verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the way of Jesus. To be pursuing his way so intentionally and holistically with our lives that we don't have to worry about the comparison game doesn't have to happen. Now John makes an interesting transition here to verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Likely he's referring to what we just talked about and then what we're about to talk about. Remember he's encouraging Christians, not just trying to give fuel to the judgment fire, but we know that we are of the truth if we follow the example of self-sacrificial love in Jesus. And when we have doubts, fears, failures, all the aspects of our sinful brokenness that might bring us back down to where sin is crouching at the door, or as he says in verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Just sit in that for a second. Is that not an extremely, like, kind of claustrophobic statement? When our or statement, when our heart condemns us, Like you can't escape your heart, you know? Also, I I listen to my heart all the time. I'm actually trying to become more of a head thinker than a heart feeler. I don't know if you ever tried to do that. Usually you're kind of one of the two. Um, For example, I'm just completely convinced as a heart feeler from the bottom of my heart that chocolate cake in a good movie is the best thing and I should do it all the time, you know? And the thing that runs through my, my head all the time is my mind's telling me no, but my body my body's telling me yes. And I'm pretty sure that's what R. Kelly was talking about. But there are many times when I don't have a heart for God, mean, meaning I, don't, I, don't, I believe in him, right? I love him, and, and I desire his work in my life, but I don't always feel like loving him. I don't always feel like it. Listen to the encouragement. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. God knows everything about everything, but that means he knows everything about you and everything about me, right? He knows our highest moments, he knows our lowest moments, and he still loves us. He still wants to teach us his truth in the context of his own love. This assurance is in the truth that people are always searching for. Truth is such a tricky word in our world right now, right? When Jesus, this is this is a story when Jesus was arrested and before Pilate. Being questioned. He's about to die. And this was their conversation that they had in John 18. Pilate says to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, but for this pers- purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate famously says, What is truth? What is truth? How do we know that the side of truth we are on is also the side of Jesus? And this is really tricky, right? Pilate, a ruler from the world, living in this quandary of how do you even know what truth is? And on the other side, Jesus, the ruler from the heavens, saying there is truth and I am the witness to the truth. And we're going to get into this even more next week, but that what is truth question has been around as long as humans have been alive because our hearts deceive us, right? What we want to be true and what is true can be two different things. And of course, I'm not here. I'm not the one to like speak into culture that much, right? I'm not trying to make any sweeping statements or be really fiery or passionate or whatever. But it does seem like the culture of the world is focusing on listening to the heart a lot, Right, with a desire to remake human life in its own image. It just seems like that. Maybe at times it's for the better. Maybe sometimes it's improvement. But if the heart can also condemn us, then it's probably not the main thing that should be trusted. And I like how John throws in there, God knows everything, right? Our search for truth doesn't have to be widespread or always confusing. We don't always have to go through all these trials and tribulations to try and figure it out. God actually knows everything. God knows the answers and Jesus is the witness to it, right? What he chooses to reveal to those who ask is up to him, right? But it seems like he's more the source of answers than the human heart should be. And God also knows the future, He knows what life is doing. He knows what's going to happen. But yet our hearts cause us to worry with questions and freak out with anxiety. But if we don't let that become our state, we are no longer letting ourselves down in accusation and condemnation. John says this, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him him if our heart does not condemn us remember this is in context of verse 19 by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him we reassure our hearts before him by asking him and keeping his commandments not primarily listening to our hearts and what we want therefore not condemned by our own hearts our heart is actually made new by christ We are sure because in him we ask, and by him we receive, and that compels us to keep his commandments. And what commandment is that? Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. That's it. Pretty simple. Believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another one another he goes on verse 24 whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us and John is back with the foundation of why we can do anything righteous in our mortal bodies it's not out of us it's because God abides in us and this new spirit he has given us is making us new from the inside out. He's changing our roots so our fruit can be evident. And these new roots are firmly grounded in the truth of truth of his word in our heart. Now, I I get it. It's actually easy for me to stand up here in even in my personality to just say like so we need to read our bibles more. And actually we do. <laughs> I really I really believe that. I think it's actually underrated. I think sometimes it's like no, go do stuff. It's like no, actually Read the word. It's God's word. That's really important, right? So it's easy for me to stay up here and say like, read the Bible and pray to God and everything you do then will be right and true. But I also fully get that it's so messy. It's so messy to just draw these lines, right? I also am a living, breathing, messed up human who's bent for self-glory and I have to confess and repent that all the time. And half the time I'm confused. God, is, is, is what I want, is this me or is this you? Where is that? But here's what I'm more and more convinced of. I'm convinced that God's word is not the problem. I don't think it's God's word, right? People hate the Bible. They do, and I don't think that's the issue. The problem now and historically has been how humans have interpreted and lived it out, right? We we all have to come humbly before God and his word and seek his heart for what we read, this is what I read when, I, when John writes that we ask and receive. I think it's, it's prayer. It's like asking God for truth. What is truth? right? We ask that God that you would continue to reveal the truth, which as Jesus said to Pilate, was what he came to witness to. We want more of that. So to humbly listen to God's word in tandem with his spirit inside us, this is the reassurance of abiding in him. And the next question that we should ask is, okay, I can't always trust my heart. I understand that. But how do I know the spirit within me is always from God? Even though we are reoriented to God and his new spirit is within us, there is still deception that happens in this broken world. There is still the spirit that is anti-Christ, that works to steal, kill, and destroy so there's this testing that needs to happen against the spirits to make sure they are above God or not. And this, value, this family value of testing the spirits is what we're going to get to next week. And it's heavy. It's a lot, right? But to end today, we're learning about these family values God has for those who believe, and they're pretty simple yet profound. Last week, we saw the first value of practicing righteousness. Today, we're looking at loving one another as the example of the self-sacrificial love of Christ. These are symptoms or fruit of the new spirit within us that has made us children of God and carries these values into his great family here on earth, right? Going back to the very beginning, looking at the comparison between Cain and Jesus, time and time again, sin was crouching at the door in Jesus's earthly life, and yet he ruled over it. He did it, he was sinless. So the only source we need to go to be renewed in the power of God over sin is not in good works, but it is in Jesus Christ. And this should then compel us towards then right action or righteousness and to love one another. And that's why it is to Christ and Christ alone that we need to respond in worship today. So guys, what I want to do before we go to respond, I just want to pray for us. Okay, I want to pray over us, my, myself included, to just that we, we wouldn't, I think maybe even in the sermon, just kind of over it a little bit. Of like, oh, we need to do all these things. And it's like to surrender to Christ, to do this new work within us, to have that spirit within us. And then again, we'll learn next week of like, how do we test that spirit and grow with that spirit? And I just want to pray. I just want to ask God to just give us a, a, a new measure of understanding of truth of that thing, that we could be a church that's not just drawing lines, that's not just like, oh, we're against this or whatever, but we are just a people that are focusing on this, practicing righteousness, loving one another, and testing what is actually true. So let me just pray and then I'd love to respond. You know how we respond. We sing, we pray, we give, and we go to the table to receive communion because it's all about Christ. We can do nothing good apart from him. So let me take a few minutes and just pray. There might be some silences in here and just kind of in your own psyche and just where you're at. Just lift your own um, minds to God as they pray over us today.